It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Jason, I have a request for you. Go for it. I feel like you make a lot of requests of me, and they're generally ones that I'm amenable to. I feel like the ratio of yes to no is very much in your favor when you make requests of me. So go for it. Track record is strong. Well, seeing as this is our 100th episode. Woo-hoo! Oh, my God. We didn't really have anything planned to celebrate. You know, I will pause to say. Cake? Cake? Before I, I have a request for you. I know. I wish we had some cake. I wish we had cake, too. But I do find it's interesting when people celebrate milestones and it almost feels like an old school thing to do. People still do this online. Like there's all the thank you for X amount of followers or whatever. Yeah. I kind of feel like it's a little strange, to be honest. And it just like there's some people who are growing so rapidly that they're constantly saying thank you. And I think it's important to have gratitude for milestones. But I almost wonder if it's like, self-congratulatory where you just want to draw attention to your progress. And so I think part of me is like, hey, it's cool. I think of anything, A, doing 100 episodes is a little bit mind-blowing. When you think, like That is a lot, a lot of work. And looking back, I'm like, wow. And especially because it's been less than eight months since we actually released the show. And I originally, we had kind of like this loose idea of doing three episodes a week. But then I think in the back of our heads, we're like, we could cut back to one episode a week if we wanted. And here we are almost eight months later going yep. strong with three episodes a week. But yeah, I, I do find it interesting. Like when people take photos with balloons that like count out how many followers they have or how many each they've done. Like, what do you think of that? Do you think it's a little strange or do you get it? Like. <laughs> Do you want to do that? Like, is, are you like planning like a hundred episode <laughs> celebration without me knowing? <laughs> Hi. So this might sound, well, I don't know if it sounds cruel. I'm not sure how it sounds, but to me, I have to laugh at this, Whitney. It, when I have seen content creators and influencers and online personalities doing the whole balloon and they put a little hat on their dog and their spouse or their partners giving them a kiss and they're like, thanks for 1 million followers. And the next thing you know, you check back and then it's down to like 999K because of the way the algorithm works. And sometimes a few years back, and it's probably overdue for doing this, but I think this was around 2015, Instagram did their first purge and they went through everyone's profiles and they had algorithms to remove, uh, quote, fake followers. And I remember there were these articles going around the most significant person I remember was the rapper Mace. You remember Mace from the bad boy days? You know, bad, yeah. bad, bad, bad boys. So Mace had like close to a million followers or maybe he had a million followers. And after the Instagram purge of five, I think it was five years ago, he went down to like 200 or 300 something. Like he had lost 70% of his followers. And I remember it was the first time, and you and I had been talking about this for a while with Twitter and people buying followers. But to me, I think in the age of algorithms changing and 
social media platforms scrubbing followers, fake followers, whenever they want to, because we've seen it in the past. This whole idea of like celebrating a million, and there are actually a couple colleagues of ours who I won't mention by name who have had a million followers in the past, and I recently checked in on them, and they're under a million now. So it's also a bit like clench the teeth and feel cringy when someone's like, I got a million. And then you check back a couple months later and they're under a million. And then it's like, what is the actual significance of this anyway? If it's constantly changing and numbers are kind of an illusion and we're beholden to these platforms anyway, that can give or take away any number of followers whenever they want to, which is the truth. I guess my long answer is yes, celebrate oneself, but it's all arbitrary anyway. It truly is arbitrary. I mean, even today I was reflecting like, gosh, like, I mean, there's something about these whole numbers. Like, I think we were excited when we reached 50 and, and of course, 55, that being one of our favorite numbers. But now it's kind of like, all right, well, we've crossed 100. Like, what else is there to look forward to? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and you mean this is our final episode as well. It's our 100th and our final episode. <laughs> Thanks well, for you know what's interesting is the statistic on, on average, most podcasts don't make it past like 20 episodes or something. So I, I remember like, wow. well, you remember this. Like what we, I don't remember it was 20. Wow. It was something, I don't know the exact number, but it's something around 20, I believe. And I remember we actually started with like more than 20. I think we had like 30 episodes recorded when we launched in December of 2019 and so I felt like accomplished, okay, we've already made it to this number. And I think it's really interesting because, A, we should give ourselves a pat on the back simply for doing so much and doing more than the average person would do because it does take a lot of work and persistence. And then today I was thinking, gosh, it's like we are in this – we've basically made it a habit. You know, it's on our schedule every week and now we're – Interestingly enough, we have so many guests lined up. We talked about a few episodes ago how we didn't have a guest one week and it was the first week without a guest and it felt so weird. And now we're in the opposite scenario where we have like more guests than I can mentally handle. <laughs> like it's just amazing how many people signed up to be guests on our show, which is really exciting. And for you, the listener, I am equally as interested as you might be because we don't know most of these people. Most of the guests that are coming on our show are strangers to us. And we just had our first like quote stranger guest recording yesterday. And that episode comes out. It might've already been out by the time this one's yes, it's the 99th episode. So the previous one, the previous episode of this one with Taylor is somebody we've never met and we met online and it, it's kind of like online dating in a way where you just don't know what you're going to get. You think you match with somebody and then you meet for the first time in person and there's a no whole nother level of pressure when you're recording with them. Anyways, it's just interesting how we're in this rhythm of creating the show. And I had this moment earlier today where I thought like, gosh, like, why are we doing this again? Do you ever have that feeling, Jason? <laughs> Do you want me to be really brutally honest with you? Nah, we're not honest here on cool. the show. So just like fake an answer. How about yeah, that? Yeah. Um, so the past few days uh, at the time that we're recording this episode, I, I was I was away from LA and got a, I got a respite from the intensity of the energy here in LA. I don't know if we've really talked a lot about during this quarantine period, and this is by no means complaining or victimhood or comparison, but it, it's been really intense in LA between some of the protests and marches that Whitney and I have both been to, been blessed to go to and lend our support. But 
there's also been an equal amount of violence and police brutality and looting and fires and buildings. And we actually had an earthquake thrown in for a good measure. I mean, it's been an incredibly intense last four to five months here. And so getting away was a time for me to just kind of like, I don't know, release the pressure valve a little bit. And there was a moment where I'm like, I don't feel like going back and doing this podcast. I don't feel like going back and doing anything. I just want to stay in the woods, in this cabin, send for the animals, send food. I'm fine. I got into like this mode while I was up there because it was so quiet and so peaceful. I mean, like dead quiet, this cabin that I was staying at, that I did have a moment, Whitney, like legit, where I was like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to do anything. I want to quit everything. (laughs) You know, over the years, I've had that feeling of just like, ugh, I don't want to do anything anymore. I just want to go be a mountain man with my animals and grow herbs and live off the land and I don't know. I think there's a balance here. I think that's my heart and my soul wanting to get out of the city and be a long answer, which you said like, yeah, I don't know if I feel like I want to do this anymore. Like there's a part of me that just wants more balance in my life. I don't think that living in a big city moving forward for me is going to be something I want to do, to be honest. Well, you bring that up a lot. So it'll be interesting to see when that happens for you finally. And I, I think in terms of this like feeling that we have sometimes of not wanting to do things, we really can check in on it. And first of all, notice the emotion. Because I generally work out every morning, either take a live fitness class, or I do an on demand class. And today I didn't haven't done it yet. And it's kind of hanging over my head. And there's part of me that's like, oh, like, just take a rest day. And then there's another part of me that's like, but you need to stay in the habit and be consistent with it. And Consistency is something that we are big proponents of, and it's tough. And sometimes you do step back and say, well, what's the point of this? And I I think of that a lot with various elements of life. And, you know, I watched this um, new movie on Hulu that is pretty interesting called Palm Springs. And one of the big messages of this movie, which is really bizarre, it's like a, a bizarre take on Groundhog Day. I think that you would like it, Jason, if you are looking for a quirky movie where it's like kind of a rom-com, but also like with a weird like sci-fi twist to it. It's really unique. And one of the big messages of that movie is that life is kind of meaningless. And and yet, A, we're in it whether we want to or not. I mean, I guess unless we choose to end our lives, but we kind of have to create our own meaning. And I think sometimes we can get very in our heads. And if we examine things too much, we start to see like, or ask ourselves, what is even the point of this, you know? And as we talked about in the previous episode with Taylor, our guest that we referenced earlier, it's a lot about finding your own joy and really leaning into what makes you feel good. And today, when I was reflecting on the show, I wasn't necessarily thinking like it wasn't like I was at a point of saying, like, I don't want to do this anymore. It was more that I was examining, like, what we have been doing and how it has been feeling. And for me, it's it feels very effortless. And I think that's a huge sign that this is something good. Because sure, like, we each as hosts of the show have our moments where we don't feel like doing it. But that's the same as not feeling like doing anything. You know, like today, I just would rather lay in bed and not work out and barely get out, you know, barely move around. Like I would love to just relax like that. And I'm working on doing that more often. I think it's incredibly important, especially 
during quarantine or for anybody anytime who's working at home, and especially if you run your own business, you have to, as your own boss, make time for leisure. And just like you did, Jason, with your trip, which I think is really wonderful, is you made time to go on a trip and really step away for two days and just like focus on pleasure and personal things, which I think can be really tricky. And I struggle with that a lot. But but anyways, I think there's that balance too, where sometimes you have to just do something. And one thing I've been sitting with a lot after we did our recording with Taylor for episode 99, I'm curious about this 75 hard program that she mentioned. And I reflected on, I'm like, gosh, like 75 days, that feels really tough. And I'm actually in the midst of a 40-day challenge that I've been doing called 40-day, I think it's called 40 Days to Prosperity or the something like that. It's a 40-day program and it's based in affirmations surrounded by prosperity and it involves kind of like reading or journaling or speaking things out loud. And I'm on, I think like day 28 maybe. And it, right now I'm only devoting like five minutes of, of each day to it, but it still feels tough. Like five minutes of something where all I have to do is sit there. <laughs> you know, That feels like a lot of energy. There's times where I'm dragging my feet. I'm also actually speaking of challenges and things like that. I'm doing a 21-day anti-racism challenge that is really amazing. And by the time this episode is out, I don't know if you can technically take it anymore. For some reason, they had like a cutoff point. It might have been this weekend that we're recording. I don't know why. I, I wonder if they're going to shift it. But you previous to now, you could sign up to get these daily emails. And it's been really wonderful. And I have just every single day been using their resources to examine my own racism, to examine racism in the country. And that actually I feel more excited about. So if you compare the two, it's actually kind of fascinating, right? Like for some reason, I feel really more resistance when it comes to the prosperity, but maybe that's a great opportunity for me to reflect on the fact that I might have some resistance or what they call money blocks, right? Maybe for some reason that's tough, or I guess just examining this in the moment, I think, well, perhaps I don't think it's going to work. So why bother? And I think that's actually a big mm. reason why a lot of podcasters stop. Yeah. Is that now that we have experienced what it's like to podcast for a hundred episodes and, you know, several months or well, in our case, it's been almost eight months, which is also kind of nuts. Like that time flew by. <laughs> you know, it's not like it's been explosive for us. I think this is what I was examining earlier. And to give the listener a behind the scenes perspective and transparency, it's we've had, I think, one sponsor. We've promoted a bunch of affiliate programs, but it's tricky because Jason and I are very used to sharing things online where people click. And I don't think people do that quite as much as podcasting. So monetizing with affiliates is a very different thing that we're still figuring out. Working with sponsors is very similar to what we've done on YouTube and Instagram and other platforms. But we've only had one sponsor so far. We've had some interest, but 
a lot of that is based on numbers, right? A lot of, of brands like want you to have a certain minimum number of downloads and it takes a while to get there. And so my point is that podcasting is kind of thankless in a lot of ways. Granted, <laughs> or maybe not thankless, maybe the word is more like you don't see as much progress. Like basically what we have is being able to see our downloads. So I look at our downloads every day. If you've listened to recent episodes, you know that I look at the analytics a lot and I, I check out what people are searching for. So I see like how many people are coming to our website, how many people sign up for our mailing list or get our free offers and that sort of thing. And then, of course, we get direct messages and emails from people. And that's probably a big saving grace. I can't imagine for people that started from scratch with no audience, unlike Jason and I, who have had our separate platforms for many years on, on social media and our blogs and Jason's TV show, et cetera. Like, we already had people that knew who we were. And so we could tell them about our podcast and kind of not have to start from scratch. But being in the podcast community and hearing people talk about their experiences, I would say most podcasters have zero audience aside from friends and family. And so some of them get like a couple downloads per episode or it takes them a really long time to get to anything significant. I imagine that that's got to be really tough, not getting much feedback. And to me, that actually says a lot about them because somebody has to be really passionate to talk about something and have zero feedback or very little metrics to go off of. So on that note, I feel like we should be grateful for what we've had, even though maybe it feels like it's taking a while to get the momentum. The good news is, is that from my understanding with podcasting, it might be really slow at the beginning, but once you hit a certain point, your momentum can build really fast. And I guess I'm kind of holding on, <laughs> hoping that that will happen in the future, but trying not to be attached to it because we have no idea what will happen or when. I think it goes back to one of my favorite quotes from Lao Tzu, which is act without expectations. And we talked about expectations on the episode with Taylor Proctor. And it's something that I've been really sitting with a lot, Whitney, because if I look at a lot of the disappointment and sadness and depression that I've experienced in my life, besides the chemical component and the nutritional component of it, I've talked about in previous episodes of how I have been dealing with clinical depression. I think a big part of it has been me having really specific expectations of how I thought my career would go, how I thought my book would do, how I thought my TV series would do, how I thought certain relationships would go. I mean, you could really insert an innumerable number of really big things that to me, I think in a lot of cases, especially with career or art or creative things I've done, I haven't been fully letting go of the outcome. You know, I've been so attached in the past to it has to go a certain way, you know, and that, that could look like it has to be a New York Times bestselling book, or I have to win an Emmy for my TV series and we have to get renewed for five seasons. And all of these ideas in my mind of what I thought success would look like or feel like. But the more that I go through life, this is my opinion. People debate me on it. I don't think expectations are useful. I don't think that they're useful. In a sense, I think they're useful in that they bring 
the ability to reflect on holding on too much maybe, or how expectations when they are unmet or we cling too hard to them, they bring suffering to us. We talked about the usefulness of suffering in that episode with Taylor too. If I look at my expectations, Whitney, they've brought me a lot of suffering because I've been so attached to how I think things ought to have gone and they didn't. And that crushed me. So it's interesting you talk about expectation because on the one hand with this podcast being a a brand new venture for you and I that have had these individual platforms and with our brand Wellevator and now with This Might Get Uncomfortable, brand new ventures, I didn't have an expectation when we launched last December of like, oh, I think we need to get this number of episode downloads and we need to have these guests and blah, blah, blah. It feels like we have been going with the flow, but recently I think I've been feeling like, ugh, like the what's the point feeling you discussed a few minutes ago. (laughs) I think for me, it's like we haven't been getting a ton of feedback and I know people are listening because I'll get DMs from people that say like, hey, I really love your podcast and that's it. Right, They won't give any more specific information, and that's fine. But I think the challenging part has been, I've been so used to in years past, people commenting on YouTube videos, people commenting on Instagram posts, people retweeting, whatever the case is. And I feel like for some reason, we're not getting that level of feedback on this venture yet. And I'm used to that level of feedback. And it's kind of like, we're in the woods alone. We don't know if you guys like this or hate it. So we're just going to keep doing it because you're not letting us know really if you like it or hate it. So I don't know, the feeling, again, I go back to kind of touching off. To me right now, part of my mental health routine, I suppose, or my mental health practice, Whitney, especially in this time of quarantine and COVID and and what's going on in the world, is I'm trying not to project into the future at all. Like an expectation to me is part of a future projection. And it's been really challenging in some ways for me to get not caught up in future projection. Because when I do start thinking about the future or my expectations or dreams or desires for the future... I'm like, nope, don't do it. Don't go there. Don't go there. Just don't go there. Like I've been really, really resisting talking about future plans, thinking about the future, because it all feels like expectation to me, you know, and I don't want to be attached to how things are going to go in life. I don't. I'm trying to shed my attachments and let go of expectations because I find that attachments and expectation cause me a lot of mental suffering. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I I think it's always interesting to examine our motivations for things because to me, it's like, I kind of imagine it like a, you know what it is like? What is it called when you are, you have a ruler and it has that little liquid part in the middle and it shows you what the, where the balance is? What's that called? You know, you kind of move the ruler, whatever. It could be like a tripod has this as well. And it tells you if it's perfectly balanced. Oh, it's called a level. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I imagine it's like a level where the middle, that part, that sweet spot that you're trying to get is feeling at peace. And then there's these two ends in which you don't have peace for one, like there are different extremes of which you, where you can go. And so you can swing from one place to another of like, Well, the extreme is not having expectations because you're afraid of suffering and you're afraid of being let down. And then the other end, which we were talking about before we started recording, Jason, so I'd I'd love to hear your perspective. It's actually kind of like your relationship on different ends of the spectrum with the woman that you're dating right now. It's like you're on this end of not wanting expectations and and wanting to be in the present moment which I also think the present moment is generally what I visualize in this level of being in the center because like the past and the future could be two ends of the spectrum, right? 
And a lot of advice, especially like Buddhist advice, is coming from this place of like being in that present moment. But in the present moment, you generally don't have fear. So I almost feel like, Jason, if you were looking at it from the your spectrum, it kind of feels like, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, if you can look at this less biased, but like, especially in your relationship dynamic where you were saying that your girlfriend loves focusing on the future, future plans and all of that. That feels really comfortable to her, but that feels uncomfortable to you. And so you're trying to stay present, but it feels like to me, maybe a little bit of it is based in the past experiences because maybe you equate the future with pain and suffering. And that's because of past experiences of having pain and suffering, thinking about the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, but and it's I like you're. Tr- it feels like you're trying to level yourself off and be in that present moment, but it's still like you're attached to old pain, thus the past. Well, here's the thing: I'm not afraid of the future. I'm afraid about clinging to expectations about the future. That's more accurate, right? Yeah, yeah. The analogy that I use is: it's like expectations. <laughs> It's like touching a hot stove and be like, it won't happen. You know, no, I'm good next time. No, it'll ha-. it's like expectations are my hand going and touching the hot stove over and over again. And at a certain point, it's like, maybe you don't want to touch the hot stove anymore because every time you've had concrete, super clear expectations. And I think there's a, a conversation about the quality and the energy behind an expectation, right? It's kind of like this. If I enter into a new project like this podcast with you, or a new book or TV series, whatever it is, or a new relationship, I think the point that I'm trying to get to is creating something and releasing the expectation of how I think it's going to go or ought to be, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to enter into a new romantic relationship or a business partnership or create this new entity, this new creation like this podcast. But releasing the expectation of like, okay, if we don't have 10,000 downloads by the end of the first year, then we fucking failed, right? Like that's an expectation of like, if we don't hit that metric, we're fucked and let's just close down shop. Like kind of like one of your old acquaintances. Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As a side note, we get very tangential. If you're just joining us, by the way, dear listener, welcome to our hundredth episode. We get very tangential and we just, we freeform because Whitney and I have a lot of ideas and our minds are very quick. There was a friend who's now, he's not a friend anymore. I, we barely talk, but a few years back, we were having a conversation about art and money and purpose and all that. And he was making over half a million dollars at that point. And he made a comment to me. He said, yeah, if I don't hit a million this year, I'm quitting. I'm packing it up. I'm done. And I'm like, what? Like that was his metric of like, if I don't make a million dollars this year, I'm done. I'm done with my business. I'm done with my art. I'm done with my I'm like, Okay, that sounds fucking stupid to me. Like I like that sounds ridiculous. Like that's your that's your primary metric of like continuing is like you're already making half a million. Like anyway, judgment aside, I think the point is that when you have a very hard, very clear metric of success, fulfillment, happiness, joy and you're fixated like it has to be this way, that brings and invites an incredible amount of suffering. Now, some people might say, well, that's also really motivating and you got to have big goals and you got to hustle harder and you got to go for it. You know, mediocrity is bullshit. And we can hear the chorus of, quote, transformational leaders that ring that bell really loud. I personally think that spiritually, emotionally, it's setting ourselves up for a lot of suffering. And I say that from experience because I've had, as I mentioned, very hard metrics for happiness. You know, it was like, 
if my book doesn't hit the bestseller list, I failed and it, it didn't. And I felt like a fucking failure. My show has to win an Emmy and get renewed for a second season. It didn't do either of those things. I felt like a fucking failure. Uh, I have to whatever, have a certain income and be married and do all these things by age 43, which I am now. And I don't have those things. So you're a fucking failure. It's like, for me, this is my opinion. When I've set very hard metrics, Whitney, it invites a lot of deep suffering. So I'm just looking at how I've done things, yes, in the past and went, you know what? Every time you've done that, dude, you've brought yourself a lot of pain and you need to take accountability for the fact that you've set these ideals in your mind of if and only when this creation or this relationship or this thing hits this metric, then you'll feel like a success, then you'll be happy, then you'll pat yourself on the back. It's a hard and painful way to live. And I don't want to do it anymore. So I'm not afraid of the future. I'm afraid of me setting hard, clear, definite expectations for how I things ought to be. And when they're not met, I'll feel crushed. And I don't want to live that way anymore. I just don't. I mean, who does want to live that way? <laughs> I'm very passionate about this. And outside of the podcast and our brand, Wellevator, I've been working on a program called Beyond Measure. And, and this is a huge element of this is how we can get so attached to outcomes and expectations and numbers and all of these things. And they are really vanity metrics. And I think a lot of us are just looking for meaning. We're looking to feel validated. We're looking to feel special. And as I mentioned in the previous episode, I've been reading the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And one of the last sections I read was about how important it is to know that a lot of us are going to live average lives, that the things that we do might be average, that not everybody can be special. And yet a lot of us have been raised in this environment of trying to boost our self-esteem through feeling or chasing an extraordinary life. And that if we don't feel special, then we feel awful. And I think that's a huge issue right now. And again, this this is a huge passion of mine. And that's why I've been developing and will soon be launching my new program, Beyond Measure, to address this and other things that have to do with issues around self-worth. And, and Jason and I also have our free ebook, You Are Enough, which you can download at wellevator.com. So if you visit wellevator.com and click on the free resources, we have several different ebooks. And our very first one was about addressing that issue of not feeling enough because so many people struggle with this. In fact, I just saw an interesting tweet slash Instagram post because like right now, one of the trending styles of Instagram is to screen capture <laughs> tweets. I actually really like them. So I, I'm glad that this is a trend. And one that I saw the other day was somebody talking about how it's such a shame that at in your mid-20s, I don't know if it was like 23 or whatever number they use, but let's just say it's 23. They're like, it's such a shame that at age 23, so many people already feel like they've failed because they see so many examples of success. At 23? It's not a real statistic. That's oh, okay. Okay. I'm just saying like this was the- It was an illustrative sentence. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. Got it. I don't okay. know. Okay. But my point is, I think that's very true, especially with platforms like TikTok and Instagram that are so based on showing you how amazing other people are. And you see these teenagers and these people in their early 20s, like making millions of dollars off of their personal brands. And it's very aspirational. 
And yet, as we talk about so often on the show, there's A, a lot happening behind the scenes. There's B, so much that can be faked and not actually based in reality or people cheating the system. Or it can be a fleeting 15 minutes of fame, however long that 15 minutes actually is. And then imagine how bad A, the people feel that don't get to that level of success, which is most people, and B, how awful a lot of those people will feel when that success does fade away at some point because that type of success is fleeting for most people. There are some examples of people like Oprah, who's been incredibly well-known and successful for a long stretch of time, but the average celebrity or, or public figure kind of fades away fairly fast, almost as fast as they rose to fame in this overnight success. I also just watched a new documentary on HBO called Showbiz Kids, and it talks about what it's like to be a kid in the movie industry. I think it was specifically movies. And they interviewed a bunch of people at different ages about their experience. And it's really eye-opening, actually, because some well-known actors have talked about their struggles. I mean, one that really stuck out for me is is his name Henry? The the kid that played the main character in E.T. The actor, I feel like his name is is it Henry? What's mm. his name? Do you remember? No, See, I don't even remember. I, his I name. remember. I remember his face, but <laughs> I know I, his I don't, face yeah. is very distinct, yeah. and it's sad. I don't recall the kid known for E.T. I mean, he went his whole life being known for that role, and he still acts to this day as an adult. And it was a big struggle for him. He said he felt a lot of imposter syndrome when he was on set. I mean, here he was the star of this huge movie and he felt inadequate in a lot of ways. And then after that role, he was continuously typecast. Everybody wanted that it kid, the the big well-known kid from E.T. And when he was a teenager, it was a big struggle for him because people were still thinking of him as this younger boy. And so it was really hard for him to get roles. And so you know, I imagine that a lot of people in their teens and, and early 20s that are getting all this success through the internet are going to struggle with that too. And gosh, I mean, it's so in our face in a lot of ways. Right now, another big issue is with Britney Spears. And I don't know if it's because I've been spending so much time on TikTok and I have always been fascinated by Britney Spears, but the free Britney movement is growing and so much so that people that aren't even paying attention to her or TikTok are starting to notice this. And the issue there is that I think it was like 15 to 20 years ago, she got put under something called a conservatorship where she doesn't have control of her life. And there was this concern for her mental health. But now after all this time has passed, people are starting to wonder like, was it actually a concern for her mental health and protecting her well-being through controlling her life or are people taking advantage of her? And there's been this like movement around it recently because people are, are seeing how she's acting on social media and feeling like very concerned about her and wondering like how much is she being manipulated and controlled and is that process actually worse for her mental health? And when you look back on her life and how much pressure this woman had as this huge pop star, of course your mental health is going to suffer. You can't live a normal life and everything that you do is controlled and everything is 
planned out. I mean, Britney Spears is just a fascinating case study in this in general, and it continues to reveal itself. And And I was thinking either earlier today or yesterday, like, gosh, sadly, I would not be surprised if something really tragic happened with her soon because the tension feels so strong. And it's such a weird feeling to observe that and feel helpless, especially when we've seen so many cases of people who have succumbed to drug usage or suicide or other things because their lives just it becomes almost unbearable. So that's kind of the flip side, right? I mean, here we are talking about like our quote struggles and concerns we have like, oh, we don't get as many comments as we would like, or we don't have as many sponsors. <laughs> like it's such a small, silly thing when you look at the other side. Like imagine if this podcast blew up and the yeah. amount of pressure that comes along with that. It, that's not an easy road either. And I think a lot of people on social media, like wanting to be a big social media success, they forget that side of things. They forget what comes with that, the responsibility and the work and the pressure and the workload in general. I mean, here we are like thinking like, oh, is it too much for us to record three episodes a week? You know, (laughs) like imagine if it got to the point where we had to record three episodes a day in order to keep up with the success. It's interesting because if I reflect back on my dealings with, I suppose, some of the the tentacles of the entertainment industry and the contracts that I've signed, I don't regret any of the contracts that I've signed over the years. But if I look back on how these contracts are structured and hearing a lot about what's been coming out recently in terms of, you know, in particular, say, publishing in music or a television contract. You know, you've heard this expression like the house always wins. And you bring up Britney Spears as an example, a really extreme example, especially with what's going on with this conservatorship you mentioned. Do you know much about that as an aside? Yeah, actually, I was reading about it the last few days and it was absolutely fascinating. Part about it that really fascinated me most was not necessarily the controlling aspects of the conservatorship, but as a young woman, how they completely shut down her actual voice. It was saying that apparently when she was in her early teens, like according to what I read, that she had a voice that was similar in power and range to Christina Aguilera. And they said, nope, you're not going to sing like that. They basically told her that, you know, yeah, if you're going to be big and we're going to make you this big thing, you've got to sing in this like little baby voice or whatever, you know, the thing that we know Britney for. But apparently there's her quote, real voice under there somewhere. Right. And she wanted to release an album like back in 06 or 07 that was like mostly acoustic or guitar driven. And they're like, yeah, you're never going to release this. And so it's like, I want to know what her real voice sounds like. That's the part that's like, you know, I want to hear the music that she's never released because the record company and her manager and her dad shut it down. That's an aside. My point is this record for the most part, TV companies, movie studios, huge record labels and publishers want to make as much money as possible. That is why they're in business. And for the most part, they take advantage of artists and milk them and bleed them with the promise of fame, success, notoriety, and we'll make you into a legend. I mean, we hear enough stories about this, so many examples. But what are you giving up in exchange? I mean, Britney is an example, right? I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars her estate is worth. Apparently, there's hundreds of millions of dollars there. 
but what she is going through and has gone through and gave up creatively as a human, as an artist, as a soul to get there, that horrifies me. It's like, I would never, ever want that in my life. I would never want that amount of fame and wealth in exchange for selling my soul. And I don't, well, I don't say that lightly, selling your soul, you know, and being forced and being coerced into doing it. But or manipulated because someone like Britney Spears has been doing this almost her entire life. I right. Mean, she right. did the Disney, what was it called? Mickey Mouse Club yep. back when she was a, a preteen, I think, or maybe she was literally before she turned a teenager. I don't remember exactly, but you know, that plus starting her huge pop career in her teens, like you're not mentally developed at that point. And you're doing things that seem fun and exciting and you got the pressure of family and culture and and then you're made to feel so special. And so you or her in this case, having all of that weight on her shoulders. And then, I mean, who's to say that her mental breakdown wasn't just something that a lot of us go through, but privately? You know, or it's something that she would have gone through anyways, but it was magnified based on the situation that she was in, especially a lot of these young stars talk about how awkward and embarrassing and uncomfortable it is to grow up in front of the cameras, you know, and that pressure of always being seen. I mean, gosh, like I think a lot of us struggle going to the grocery store and we don't feel that we look as nice. Actually, uh, Sunny, who was on an episode we did about beauty um, a few months ago, I think at this point, she talked about how it's tough for her as like a public figure online to be recognized at the grocery store when she's not all done up with her makeup on, you know, and she's probably recognized a few times every now and then. But someone like Britney Spears, pretty much everybody's going to recognize her. And can you imagine like just not being able to like go out your house without somebody recognizing you and noticing every flaw and and photographers around. And I mean, that just sounds like a nightmare. But as you're saying, Jason, it's like, A, did you choose to do that in order to get the fame that you want? Or were you kind of forced into it in a, in a way or manipulated into it without realizing what the consequences are? I mean, I think there's there's so many layers to this psychologically. And again, not to focus specifically on Britney, but focus on how the industry is structured, right? And the fact that that artists who have built these companies, publishers don't have a business without authors. Record labels don't have a business without especially legacy artists who sell most of the records. TV series production companies don't have anything without vehicles. And there's been a disp- And I think the reason I'm saying this, Whitney, is you go back to the idea of the 15 minutes of fame that Andy Warhol quoted that I think right now in the age of social media and digital media is becoming, has become all too true. That the entertainment machine, and it is a machine by its very nature, and the way that the contracts are set up and the money works in every facet is designed to bring new blood in milk them for everything they're worth, chew them up and spit them out. The machine does not care. It doesn't. It doesn't care. It's like over the years, you and I have been doing this. You and I have had the great fortune of meeting many people, not just social media, luminaries, influencers, huge YouTubers. We've met actors and directors and producers. And I mean, we can go on down the line. There's too many to mention. And I'm not saying that as a humble brag. It's just, it's, we've just met a lot of really interesting people. 
how many of them, when we met them, it was like they were the shit in that moment, right? Whatever it was, viral videos, huge YouTube channels, big movies, blah, blah, blah. Sustained success, that kind of public level of fame and influence, as you said, is incredibly rare. Most of the system is designed to suck in. Oh, there's talent there. Sniffing out talent. Cool. Let's launch them into the machine, feed them into the machine, see how much money they make, see how much longer they last. And if the public doesn't really take to them, fuck it. We'll chew them up and spit them out. It's brutal. It's a brutal industry. All of it's brutal because its nature is brutal. Right. And I actually, I think that's one of the reasons that podcasting thus far has felt like a lot of joy is because it's mainly just you and me recording. And we do have a team of people that assist us with the editing and the website and that. But it's mostly us calling the shots and making our own schedule and and doing whatever we want. And there's a lot of creative freedom there. And the same thing is true with Instagram and YouTube and a lot of the other platforms, kind of. But the problem that I found on those platforms is that those are so monetized that I feel like this weird pressure all the time because it's so numbers driven. And that, again, is coming back to this monetization side. It's like, well, either I want the numbers so I can prove my worth so that somebody will pay me and so I can justify all the time and effort that goes into this, or we're concerned about numbers because we really want validation. And if we don't get the validation, then we feel embarrassed or we don't feel good enough. And then there's all of that emotional weight that goes into that as well. And it starts to feel really, really draining. And I so far has not have not experienced that with the podcast. It just feels kind of like in a way nice that we're not getting a ton of feedback all the time because as nice as positive feedback is, negative feedback can can also be there. And that's really challenging as well. As we were talking about this, I was looking up some information about podcasting and I had forgot the term for this, which is called pod fading. And it's basically when somebody starts a podcast, but they don't continue with it, they can't maintain it for whatever reason, they're not going to be as consistent about it. And I don't know if this statistic is still true, but this is like the average statistic that gets thrown away. And it's actually a lot different than I thought. For many years, it's been found that most podcasts don't make it past seven episodes. Seven. And wow. Most podcasts statistically are become inactive. In fact, up to 75% of podcasts that have ever been made are currently inactive. Oh my God. 70, wait, 75%. 75%. Now, granted, there's a lot of podcasts out there and there's new podcasts being started all the time. And then there was also some statistics that if only 50% of podcasters make it past episode seven, and out of that 50%, only 50% make it to episode 15, So if you can make it past episode 25, then you have a high chance of lasting for two years or more. So fascinating. I think it's the number I had in my head when we started the show. We had already recorded over 25 episodes and I was like, all right, great. Like, Yeah. (laughs) We're in it. But here's the thing is that pod fading happens for a number of reasons. One is that a lot of people underestimate how much time goes into this work. And that's, I was thinking about that today too. It's like, it is a lot of work. We schedule out two hours per episode to record because 
if you, the listener, have checked out our podcast, you don't even have to listen to them to know that they're on the longer side. And so we block out two hours for every single episode that we do. So <laughs> we've done over 200 episodes of 200 hours of recording thus far, right? It's a lot of time. But that doesn't include all the other thing that goes into it. So we have an editor. So that luckily is not time that we spend, but somebody is spending time editing our shows. We have two websites. We have wellevator.com and we have podcast.wellevator.com. And even though they're the same domain, they're two operated separately and those take work to maintain them. The research that goes into planning for an episode and to booking guests, there's a lot of time involved there. There's just a lot of like little things, plus like the newsletters we send and the social media that we post. And there's a lot of things that we don't do simply because they haven't been time priorities, right? So I think a lot of people just don't even know all of that. They don't expect it. Or typical of a lot of different elements of life personally and professionally, we just simply get so excited about something without realizing the effort that it takes to maintain it. Podcasting is also challenging technically. Jason and I have been self-taught and luckily we have a, a great support system, whether that's the support system of the web because you can teach yourself anything online, which has been great. We have the team that we work with, Podetize, who has helped us a lot and mentored us and educated us. And they're the ones that edit our episodes and all of that. We have people like Pat Flynn. I'm in one of Pat Flynn's groups and I learn little things from him every time I meet every month with him and his the other people in his groups. We have our friend Allison Melody, who has a wonderful podcast called Food Heals. She was one of our guests and she does a lot of education around this. And I've been to events like Podcast Movement. So here I am listing out all of this stuff just to say like there's a lot that goes into learning how to podcast. And as we've been bringing guests onto our show, it's really been enlightening to share like how like much preparation in terms of getting the right equipment it takes to sound good. And if you've been listening to our show for a while or you go back to one of our first 30 episodes, there's a huge difference in how we sound. Actually, up until recently, we didn't have what's called a pop filter, which helps reducing the amount of... um air that comes out and hits the microphone. So when you say certain words, it sounds very different. I cringe when I listen to some of our earlier episodes. We were also using different mics for a little while. We were using one called the Blue Yeti and then Jason's Audio-Technica mic, I believe. And then we were gifted two mics from Podetize when we signed up to be part of their program. And we actually have a list, I think. Don't we have a blog post, Jason, that shares like all yeah. of our equipment? So if you're yeah. ever curious, we'll put this in the show notes for this episode. And you can find it at wellevator.com. It, it's just a, kind of a behind the scenes look at everything. And my point being there is that technical side of it is A, expensive, but B, there's a learning curve and it takes a lot of finessing and passion for it. I mean, as we've taken on guests on the show, I'm realizing that a lot of people podcast with like very basic setups and they don't know how to do a lot of these advanced things. A lot of podcasters don't have pop filters. So, you know, we'll have guests on and you can hear their audio quality is just sounds so different than ours. Right. And we're not even at the top of the line stuff. Like we still have a lot of different tweaking that we can do and different mics that we can get in headphones and all the stuff that goes into it. Now, you don't have to have that, but 
I think if you don't have that, sometimes it's hard to build a, an audience because people really want it to sound good. It's important. And so if you're not willing to invest the time and money in the technical side of things, I can see why people would give up. Some people actually start recording and realize they don't like their voice or they're not comfortable on the mic and they don't want to put the time into learning. This has certainly been the case with us too. I know in the beginning, we had to find our flow and I feel like we still are, don't you think, Jason? Like just not talking over each other, something we used to do a lot more and now we've we've kind of found that cadence in the way that we talk with one another and pausing and listening to each other. Yeah, it's it's an ongoing evolution. I think one of the things that keeps me going and you you briefly mentioned this Whitney when you talked about the I guess the pressure of how monetized Instagram is and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, the big four platforms that still remain on social media. At least I look at those as the big four. They're kind of the OGs. With YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, those four for sure, but for sure YouTube, the joy got lost for me. And even when I on occasion will meet people who are strangers. And we've talked about this, I think, in previous episodes. We're like, oh, are, are you Jason? Oh, yeah, from YouTube. I watch your video. You know, you've been there for a few of these meetings, Whitney, and it doesn't bring me joy anymore. It doesn't bring me joy because Why I not, feel though? Like I'm burnt out. I have nothing that I want to say on YouTube. And I haven't had much I've wanted to say for over a year now. And I think part of it is the scrutiny of the numbers now and working with brands and how obsessed brands are with metrics and numbers where the same thing with Instagram, the same thing with Facebook, the same thing with, to a lesser extent, Twitter. This, what we're doing now through the first hundred episodes, at least, feels similar to the early days of YouTube. Yes. Like 2009, Agreed. 2010, 2011, like those first three, two and a half, three years I was on YouTube, there was no expectations. Brand partnerships were just starting to be a thing. It was so fun and free. Yep, fun and exactly. And so with this, even though we have had a sponsor and we have conversations with sponsors and affiliate links, there's not this level of pressure and expectation from brands and partners. And it's, it hasn't become this beast, this juggernaut like the other social platforms have where, to your point, it's like it's become so fucking calculated in some ways of like, is this actually me authentically creating from joy and fun and freedom? Or am I doing this, quote, for the gram? You know, that's become an expression right. of like, doing it for the gram. It's like, okay, so I've interpreted that phrase as me. I'm being inauthentic. I'm pandering to my audience. I'm giving them what they want. And I'm probably doing this to attract some brand attention so I can make money. There's nothing wrong with making money, but doing it in an inauthentic way pandering to your audience, placating yourself to appease a brand to get the dollars coming in, there's a price to be paid energetically and spiritually for those decisions. And I say it out of experience. There's a price that you're going to pay. Well, I think part of it is like the over-optimization of a lot of those platforms. And one of the things for better or for worse about podcasting is you don't have as much access to that data as you do with other platforms. Like You can go into your Facebook and Instagram and YouTube insights. And you can like pick apart everything about your content and constantly try to optimize it to make it better and better. And actually, when we were starting the show, one tip was like to keep your episodes a certain length because that's how long people will listen. 
And Jason and I were like, no thanks. Like we just want to record until we're finished. And we found that our sweet spot is an hour and a half. And yes, that's long, but that's what we want to do. And we know we're not the only ones doing it. Even if we were, that's okay. I don't want to create a podcast, like you were saying, Jason, just to make money. That's never been the motivation. I think it was just something we did out of curiosity and we really have enjoyed it thus far. And again, as you said, Jason, that's so much like why I started on YouTube. It was just like, I'm curious about this and this is fun and this feels creative and and it's an outlet. And I mean, in a lot of ways, these episodes feel therapeutic and and it's neat because I can tell people are listening. And like you said, like sometimes we'll get feedback, sometimes we won't. And that's okay though. I mean, I actually kind of like, I feel almost safer in a way, like more free to express myself. And as nice as it is to get reviews on iTunes and messages, direct messages and emails, et cetera, it's also nice when it's kind of quiet and you just feel like you're free to do it however you want to. And I certainly feel so much pressure of like knowing that there's an audience and then like the fear that someone's going to say something mean on YouTube or like unfollow me on Instagram because they didn't like what I did in one post. You know what I mean? And I think it's so important for us to, again, find that balancing going back to that leveler imagery of doing something that really fulfills you and brings you joy and just like nourishes your soul. And taking in a perspective from other people, there's nothing wrong with constructive criticism. In fact, it's generally very beneficial. But I think a lot of what's caused me burnout online as a creator is the unconstructive criticism. It's people that are trolling or just being rude or venting or just saying something that they would never say to your face, but they feel comfortable doing that online. And luckily, we've only experienced that like one time with our podcast thus far, as far as as we know. Going back to the pod fading statistics here, another thing that is common for people is that they run out of things to talk about. (laughs) I don't know that we're ever going to reach that point by virtue of there are always things we can pull right out of our ass. And I, I mean, get- right out of our ass. And and I don't mean that as a dismissive thing, Whitney. I just mean that you and I, as people, are so curious about the world and we have so many life experiments and we're constantly reading and learning and trying new things that I don't think that you and I would ever run out of subject matter just by virtue of how we're kind of wired as people. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. And that, I mean, I have compassion for people that feel like they run out of things to talk about. It does take a lot of confidence to really just be comfortable riffing and and as Brendan Burchard would say speaking extemporaneously but speaking of him you know a lot of the big speakers and podcasters and content creators out there like they're just repurposing the same things over and over yes, they're not they necessarily are. saying something Original new things. all the time sometimes yes. they literally repurpose old content and there's nothing wrong yes. with that because there's a new audience and who knows how somebody finds you and chances are I don't even know if we have a single listener that's listened to every single episode that we've done. In fact, I sometimes wonder if we're doing too much content, like how does somebody even stay up to date, especially during quarantine when you're not like commuting to a job or whatever. So I want to give a hats off to any listener who's devoted or listens to most of our episodes or makes it through to the end of them. 
I think that's really incredible as well. Yeah, if anyone actually can prove that they've listened to all 100, we will, <laughs> I, we will send you a care package with a Abyssinian cat, a French bulldog puppy, and an unlimited supply of homemade vegan cheese. Wait, you're going to send them your animals? No, I wouldn't do that. Like I to visit no. or yeah, to keep? Yeah, yeah. No, no, to, <laughs> to visit. We'll do a distance. We'll do a socially distanced visitation with my animals. <laughs> and all of a sudden we get screenshots of people like with 100 episodes in our DM. Like, I watched all 100. Send me the bulldog. No, I was kidding. I was I'm not going to ship you a bulldog. But maybe we could have like a meetup or something, right? I mean. Yeah, 2021, baby, when we can actually get together again. 2021. I think it is really nice when people do giveaways and things like that. So, I mean, maybe we give away one of our courses or something like wellness warrior training or I'd be open to that. This is the thing. If you, the listener, have something that you would like of ours, let us know and maybe we'll just give it to you. There you go. Like if you want to reach out to us and say, hey, I listened to a ton of your episodes. I'm sorry I haven't commented before or left you a review. Would you please give me something? Yeah, give me some free shit. I want some free shit to help me. It reminds me of that wonderful TED Talk and book about uh, rejection and how a lot of us are so afraid to ask for things, but sometimes just having the courage to ask and be bold about it, you'll get exactly what you're asking for. So we encourage you, the listener, to do just that. And in fact, if you would like to leave us an iTunes review, we'd be thrilled. We also have a survey that we'd be really thrilled for you to fill out, especially if you have been listening regularly. We set it up. It's at podcast.wellevator.com slash survey. And if you can't memorize that, if you just go to our website, wellevator.com, whenever you have a chance and look in the show notes, you will find a link to this survey. We've been mentioning it uh, every week. And if some people have filled it out. Thank you for those that have. It's just a few questions to help us better understand you. Another cool thing, actually, that I just started using is called Good Pods. This is an app that you can use to follow your friends and podcasters to see what shows they're listening to. You can like have conversations. It's kind of like a little social network. And you can listen to podcasts on there. And I think it's a beautiful interface. So if you want to find this might get uncomfortable on good pods and connect with us, you can be like our friend on there and you can re recommend it to your friends and just have this whole podcasting experience. It's, it's really lovely. So I recommend checking out good pods and filling out that survey so that we can learn more about what you want, what you like, maybe give you some prizes or some thank you gifts you can reach out to us through direct message, as we've said. Our Instagram handle is at Wellevator, and our email address is hello at Wellevator.com. I thought I had something to say, and now I don't remember what I wanted to say. Oh, yes. I Thank you, Brain. Thank you, Brain. I think, you know, the, the thing that I'm taking away from this conversation, Whitney, is it's almost like this childhood sense of spontaneous wonder and creativity and awe that I'm trying to maintain in my life. Whereas when you're a kid and you're making art, or for me, when I was really little, my thing was making skits. I still have cassette tapes of all of these characters and voices and skits and TV shows and all this crazy stuff. 
I wish there was a way. I mean, I'm sure there is a way to digitize it. I just don't know how to get a cassette recording onto a computer. You've said this before. I know. And, and I don't know how to do it. If you just did a Google search, you'd probably find the answer within a second. Yeah, true, true, true. true. <laughs> cassette, yeah, cassette, there's got to be a machine to do it. So, so maybe I will go ahead and get that machine or that device and actually digitize these cassette recordings. But it brings me back to a time when, you know, at that age, I wasn't thinking about, oh, I need to have a career as an entertainer and a TV host and go to comedian school and blah, 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 and do all this shit. It was like, I was just creating for creativity's sake. And I think that there is a very distinct challenge that comes in as we get older and we realize that we have some intersection of talent and work ethic and passion creatively. And that when we try and monetize our creativity or our talent, it's really hard to maintain that original, pure core spirit of, I just want to create for creation's sake. Not because again, there's an expectation of it making me money, giving me fame, giving me notoriety, all the bullshit that comes in. And it ultimately, again, if fame and money and influence is used as a positive tool, I think it's a wonderful thing. As a means to an end in itself of, I want to be famous, I want to be rich, I want to be this thing in a vacuum, I don't think there's much value in that. But I think my point in all this, Wit, is like I'm asking myself, especially during this downtime, this this introspective upheaval time, this evolution on Earth, this changing that's happening on a global level is like, how do I get back to, as you said, the fun and the freedom and the space of being creative without forcing it to do anything for me? And that reminds me also of Big Magic. And Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that in her book of as artists or creators like we put these expectations on our art to do something like, hey, book, hey, music, you've got to make me money or fuck off. You don't deserve my time and attention if you don't make me money. And I've done that for a long time, you know, of, of I'm not going to make a YouTube video. I'm not going to record a song. I'm not going to do another book unless it makes me money. And I'm at the point now where I just want to create for creativity's sake. And yeah, if it makes money, yes, great. If it brings me whatever, or us fame and notoriety and a different platform, great. But I just don't want to do things for the sole reason of that anymore. There's been a long time where I think I was creating for that sole reason, Whitney. And I just, I don't know. I feel burnt the fuck out on that. I don't want to do that anymore. I agree. And I think that is the big challenge and something that a lot of people don't really step back to think about is it sounds so amazing to be able to work for yourself and to create a career, cash in on your passion, as people like to say. And I'm a big advocate for that because. I feel like it's so important for us to live lives that are very fulfilling. But we have to remember that there is a trade-off and that it does take a lot of work. As I was saying, you know, just having a podcast takes a lot of work and some people just don't even know what they're signing up for. Making a career out of your creativity really takes a lot of work. And that's just how money works in our society right now is it it's usually trading your time for money or your effort for money and all of that and and it takes a a lot of balancing and honesty and evaluation and not being afraid to change too i think that's been a big lesson that i've learned is and i'm i'm kind of still in the process of figuring that out for myself as i've been switching my focus away from the brand that I built called Eco Vegan Gal to my two newish brands, which is Wellevator and my name, Whitney Lauritsen. And 
that transition is really interesting. Well, elevator is, was easy because that was like an additional thing, right? But moving my what I'm known for away from eco-vegan gal has been an interesting thing because I feel like I've outgrown that in a lot of ways. And it's like I have to kind of figure things out for myself while also educating people about what I do. But the more that I do it, A, the easier it becomes and the more comfortable I get with it. And I'm developing more and more confidence and finding joy in all sorts of neat things. I mean, one thing that surprised me recently, and I I mentioned this to you briefly, Jason, but haven't really gotten into it with you is Pinterest. I joined Pinterest in probably 2011 or 2012. I know I was on there around that time because it was when I was in San Francisco. And I remember like using the platform and, and parts of San Francisco. I kind of didn't find that it it stimulated me very much back then and it my attention got drawn towards Instagram as it grew and YouTube and all those other platforms but as I felt burnt out on those pr- platforms I've gone back to a curiosity for Pinterest and just in the past 2 or 3 weeks I've been utilizing it a lot and it brings me so much joy it is so satisfying I feel free I feel creative. I feel at peace there. And I love that. It's just so nourishing to me. And it's like, ah. Oh. Whereas when I go on Instagram, I feel tense and I feel afraid. And, you know, with YouTube, same thing. It's like I go on those platforms and I'm like, oh no, like, am I doing this right? Am I, am I creating in a way that people like? Are people going to unfollow me? Are they going to give me a thumbs down? Are they going to leave a bad comment? Are they going to talk about me behind my back? I mean, I feel so insecure on those platforms. And that's a huge sign. But the challenge with that, Jason, that I think is also important to address is that it's kind of like leaving an abusive relationship, which sounds Whoa. extreme. Yeah, but go like, on. What do you mean? In that emotionally feeling so drained, but also tied to it. And I feel like you've kind of expressed this with your chef career because you've been talking about for a long time wanting to do less or no work as a chef anymore, but you continue to do it. You continue to post on Instagram and do sponsored things and all that. And it's kind of like the golden handcuffs or something where you're like, and again, like the abusive in that it's when you know something doesn't feel good anymore, or it's not right for you, or it's not nourishing, or it's actually hindering or hurting you more than it's helping you. But you stay anyways, because you feel comfortable there. That's what you're used to. That's what I mean by it almost being like an abusive relationship. Like, you know, it's not in your best interest anymore, but it's so hard to leave that because that's what you've known. Yeah. That's a wonderful analogy, right? It's almost as if even though part of your soul is like, we don't want to do this anymore. There's the carrot, the proverbial carrot that keeps getting dangled. And it's so funny. It's so funny because every time that I've thought about publicly posting about my retirement from chefing. Like, and let me be clear about this. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to be in the food industry or the wellness or the transformation industry anymore, right? Whatever the term is that I want to use. It just means that working as a chef and being known as a chef and being solely looked to like that. You know, you talk about the eco-vegan girl, eco-vegan gal brand that you built, Whitney. You know, for me, Sometimes I feel like I'm a prisoner of my own design because I branded myself so well as a chef, 
through YouTube, social media, book publishing, the TV series, all of those things kind of coalesced into most people call me as a chef or I get gigs as a chef. And lo and behold, after the last trip I went on, left LA and got some mental space, I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to retire. Like I'm going to make a public post. Not that I need to, but just as a buffer of like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore, guys. Like I'm really done. Lo and behold, I get a fucking email for something else and I need to sit with it and think about it, right? Because it's it's a low, what I don't want to get into it because I can't, but it's a low effort thing where it could also be like, yay, I'm being grouped in with all these other amazing people. But then I have to ask myself why? Because then if I do that, it's just going to keep perpetuating the thing that I probably don't want. But I'm so used to getting money, adulation, accolades, attention, all those things, all the carrots. I'm so used to getting it, but it's from a thing that I don't really want to be doing anymore. Exactly. That's the trick. And I think a lot of people struggle with that and don't talk about it very openly because there's like the shame and turning something down that you feel like you should be grateful for. Like, oh, I have this opportunity. Not everybody else gets this. Right. You know, and that happens to a lot of creators, creative types. It was actually talked about in that documentary, Showbiz Kids. It was Evan Rachel Wood, actually, who was saying, I believe, if I remember correctly, she was saying how one of the hardest parts about this industry and all the manipulation and even abuse that happens in the entertainment world. I mean, there's certainly a lot that goes on that we were not aware of until recently with the Me Too movement and with child abuse and all sorts of issues that were going on. There is this huge carrot that's dangled in front of you if you want to pursue a career in the entertainment world. And it's like, hey, if you're not willing to do what it takes, somebody else is right behind you. And so there's that pressure of, I mean, I feel this way in the like influencer world. It's like there's so many people that want to be social media influencers. And so if you turn something down, there's someone right behind you that will take it, even though you know that you're worth so much more or you know that you deserve a better scenario. It's so hard because you don't want to miss out. That fear of missing out is hard. That fear of not being grateful, that fear of being perceived as hard to work with is tough. There's a lot that goes into it. And also the fear of changing too. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like sometimes we want to be different. We want to do things differently. We want to evolve. But because somebody knows us for being a certain way, it's there's that big fear of like, will I be rejected for showing either my true self that I've never shown before or a different side of myself that I haven't expressed and people liking me for who I used to be versus who I am. And we've talked about this. I forget who it was with. We, it was during one of our guest episodes. We talked about this. Do you recall, Jason? Mm, I and don't. I know we brought up, I brought up a musician from Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh yeah. Darius Rucker. I can't remember yep. which episode that was I'll, with. But I'll find it and put it in the show notes for anyone yeah, who wants to listen. It's being typecast in a way to have an overarching entertainment jargon slogan that's being used. It's you get so known for this one thing that that's all anybody sees anymore. Now, sometimes if you're the one I suppose, responsible for building your own brand identity, the onus falls on you. Like I was saying for like, I branded myself too well, but sometimes you get sucked into the machine, especially when you're young and they create the identity for you, right? Or you just happen to have a hit movie or a hit song or a hit book. And they're like, Hey, do more of that. 
because we love that. And we want you to only do that because that kicked ass and that was amazing. And that also (laughs) made a lot of money for everyone. So, but as an artist, you're like, I don't want to do that. I want to, I don't, I don't want to do EDM. I don't want to do a country album. They're like, fuck do you mean you want to do a country album? You're an EDM artist, dude. Money, 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 print the money. Right. It's like, oh, it's so hard. And I have so much respect for anyone who chooses to be vulnerable enough and open enough to do the work to explore who they really are and put that out into the world. And then especially if they're successful at it, because as you said, the pressure and expectation on that level that gets layered on top of it, to be a fully directed, autonomous individual following your own heart in this world is fucking hard work. It's fucking hard work because it's so much easier to capitulate and you Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Dangle all the carrots. Yeah, give me the money and the fame and the cars and the blah, 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 and the, 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 the. It's so easy to chase all that shit. It is, but to move through life of your own volition, of your own heart, and the spark of creativity within you, without expectation for all that stuff, is some of the most difficult work to do as a being on in this world. I think, and there's a lot of hard work to be done. But really, like choosing to move through life of your own internal compass and try and tune out the voices around you. It is tough. It's tough. It is really tough. I found the episode that I was referring to that was with Ruby Roth. And we talked a lot about this with her, this conversation. So for you, the listener, if you would like to hear us talk about being an artist in more depth with a guest, please check out that episode. And I will link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com. I'm starting to have to pee, Whitney. I'm not peeing. That sounded horrible. I have a urine bucket underneath the desk in the podcast studio. That sounded horrible. I feel like I'm getting close to having to pee. That was a better way to phrase it. Okay, fair enough. And I, every time we start a podcast, I'm like, I wonder if Jason has peed yet. I did. Monitor his his liquid intake before well, we record. This the, is an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing because I do pee. It's like going like, did you pee yet? We're getting on a road trip. Like so, I always treat <laughs> I, I always treat these episodes as if you and I are getting on a car and doing a big chunk of driving. But the inevitable conclusion is to keep my voice in my mouth while moisturized, I do have a glass of water that I drink. And, you know, at the end of about 90 minutes or so, it does start to catch up. It starts to catch up a little bit. So I'm not there yet, but I'm just letting you know, I'm getting close. I'm getting close. I got it. Well, then we should start wrapping up and sharing some brand shout outs that we've, as we've been doing recently. And then we get into one of our favorite parts of our show, which is called Frequently Asked Queries. So let's begin with some brands that we love. Number one, I'm really excited because I have been experimenting with some alternatives to Amazon. As we talked about a few episodes back, just being really mindful of the ethics behind companies that we support and really promoting things that feel in alignment with our values and that we feel like are being owned and operated by really great people. I have mixed feelings about Amazon. I just feel like it's nice to give somebody else a a try. And I found this wonderful platform called Indigo Books that's based in Canada, I believe. But you can purchase their products, I think, from from most places in the world. Probably not anywhere, but it's worth checking out. So I've started to link to them. So for example, Jason mentioned Big Magic. The link that you'll find to Big Magic in the show notes at wellevator.com is to Indigo Books. 
And I've done this uh, for some recent episodes. So just a little heads up to you, the listener, that we are working hard to make sure that anybody that we talk about is in alignment. Aside from that, two other brands I'd love to give a shout out to. One is actually a Kickstarter. And I thought this one was really cool and worth bringing up. And Jason, I feel like you would get very excited about this. So this is for a Mexican vegan fast food restaurant in Barcelona. Whoa, Barcelona. I knew you were going to say <laughs> I love that. Mm. It's run by two vegan friends, Ken and Francis. Ken has a history in restaurant management. Actually, this is kind of neat. One of his restaurants catered to and employed blind people in Madrid. And Francis has created vegan diets for athletes. And both of them found themselves in Barcelona. So they started a Kickstarter for this restaurant. And I thought it was really neat. So I am linking to them in the comments. Their project will only be funded if it reached its goal of $45,000 by August 8th. So please go check it out. Donate what you can. Let's check out some of the perks. What do they give you? It's actually, it's in euros, which makes sense. But if you pledge $5 or more, which is, or $6, technically it's five euro or more, uh, you'll get your name on a donor wall. If you pledge $12 or more, you'll get a free meal. So if you live there or you would like, you can opt to pay that money forward and give a free meal to a homeless person, which is really neat. So there's a lot of really amazing things that they're doing. So I'll link to their Kickstarter and you can go check them out some more. Let me see if they have um, any social media listed on here where you check out what they're doing. But I think it's really neat. I'd love to start mentioning more Kickstarters and think, you know, fundraisers and things like that, just to promote some of these people that are working really hard. And I think it's amazing to get plant-based food across the world and to also support a lot of small businesses and friend businesses, vegan businesses. That's in full alignment. It's called, I feel like I'm going to really mispronounce the name. I'm going to type it in the chat, Jason, and maybe you will be able to correctly pronounce it. It's probably not that hard, but you're just so much better at pronouncing things than I am. Sugar Libre. See, I never would have said it that way. Thank Sugar you. Libre. <laughs> I like it. It reminds me of Nacho Libre, the great yeah. uh, wrestling movie with Jack Black. Yeah. Yep. Sugar Libre. I like this. I like yep. this a lot. It's really cool. My mouth is watering just thinking about it. I actually, now a completely different note, but speaking of Mexican fast food, I went and tried the new vegan offerings at the fast food chain El Pollo Loco. And I've never been there before. I think because I don't know if they're a California or a West Coast chain, but we didn't have any in the Midwest growing up. Yeah, I don't remember them being in Massachusetts or the East Coast. So when I moved to the West Coast, I was already vegan and did not get to experience it. But apparently it's like a a place that people that eat chicken are really into, right? Similar to KFC, which I mentioned the other day. I went and I tried the El Pollo Loco burrito and tacos and the tacos are really good. Burrito is pretty good. So it was neat. It's kind of like a lot of these fast food chains. I'm going to try the the KFC. Although I feel I have mixed feelings, Jason, I got to say, not just about the ingredients, but you, I think you have to double check because not all KFCs will cook it separately. So on their website, ah. KFC says it's not technically vegan because a lot of the products will be fried in the same fryer as chicken. So you have to really decide 
how you feel about it. But as I talked about in a previous episode about the KFC situation, I still think it's cool. Like if you are eating chicken and you want to try to eat more plant-based and you like KFC, like great, this is probably for you. I don't know if this is for vegans. I think vegans can be excited about it. Some vegans are not into it because they don't want to support a business that capitalizes on selling animal products. But you know what? My feeling is this is progress, not about perfection. And if we can like make this an exciting and cool thing and an acceptable thing, I mean, I just have to give huge props to Beyond Meat in general. I'm a shareholder of theirs. I bought some stock. And so I have some vested interest in them. (laughs) But I bought stock because I think Beyond Meat's doing amazing things, even though it's processed. And same thing with Impossible Foods, even though it's GMO, genetically modified. I think uh, they've really changed the game and opened a lot of eyes to plant-based proteins out there. So I, for one, am just curious about KFC. And as I said in another episode, I will probably try it, even though it's not gluten-free and it's probably going to make my stomach hurt. If I can find a KFC nearby that has it and hopefully doesn't fry it in oil, I don't know how I'm going to confirm that, but I'm going to look into it and I'll report back on that experience. Okay. So I want to give a shout out to two platforms in the pantheon of the interwebs that allow people to learn more plant-based cooking. Obviously, during this quarantine time of COVID, cooking schools, culinary schools are not operating. It's another one of the I suppose, casualties of the economic downturn during the quarantine. But I do get messages still, Whitney, in my culinary career that is winding down this year of people asking me, you know, where where do I go to get a culinary education if I want to cook plant-based? And I go back to two dear friends of ours, Cher, uh, Chad and Derek Sarno, the Sarno brothers, who have a great company called Wicked Healthy. They launched actually Wicked Healthy Cooking, which is an online portal for you to learn plant-based cooking. And they have two classes that I have actually watched the videos and I really love. One is a plant-based party cooking, which teaches you hors d'oeuvres and party food. Although again, not really many people having parties right now. Maybe you are with family though. So it could be something you bring to a small family gathering. The other one is a plant-based cooking for kids. So if anyone's interested in these small, for lack of a better term, bite-sized courses, We will link to the place where you can find Wicked Healthy Cooking Online. They're beautifully shot classes, really easy, approachable cooking techniques. And if you want to dive deeper into your culinary education, we have loved Ruby Online Cooking School for many, many years. Again, Chad Sarno was one of the progenitors of their plant-based online academy, and it is a phenomenal program that teaches you basic techniques like knife skills and flavor combining, building a recipe from scratch all the way up to more advanced techniques like making your own homemade pasta at home. So it goes from the beginner level all the way to the advanced level. And other than the culinary school I went to and many colleagues have gone to Whitney, in terms of an online education, I really think that Ruby, along with Wicked Healthy, are probably the best thing you can do online. So for you, dear listener, if you or any of your family members or loved ones want to really get an amazing culinary schooling and do it online, check out Wicked Healthy and check out Ruby Online Cooking School. Well, I second that. I feel like I relate Ruby to Chad Sarno because he was working with them when we 
was were introduced to Ruby and he did amazing work with them. And and Jason and I have both been students of Ruby, so can attest to the amazing teaching that they do. They forever changed my relationship with cooking knives. So I felt very confident with using the knife in the kitchen. There's actually techniques that have been ingrained in my brain because of their teaching style. So that's wonderful. People like Chef AJ have classes on Ruby. And yeah, I mean, Chad and Derek are two of our favorite people. We've actually thought about inviting them on our show. So maybe this is a a reminder to do that, Jason. I think so. So as we are wrapping up number 100, Whitney, do you have any frequently asked queries to lay on me? What do you mean, do I? Of course you do. You actually texted me a few this week. I feel like that would have been gems, would have been gems. No, there's no way I feel confident sharing those. There has been a slew of really sexual queries, like and kind of bizarre sexual yeah, queries. Yeah. Like, and, like and, even for me, like, yeah. oh, what are they asking for? And I also just wonder how does that query have anything to do with our website? Like, it's just fascinating. So for those of you who haven't listened, we explained several episodes back when we first started doing the Frequently Asked Query segment that we're diving into right now, how you can go on Google Analytics, or if you'd like an alternative, you can use Fathom Analytics by our friend Paul Jarvis. You can use analytic platforms to go and see what people are typing in and how that could potentially... Basically, it creates an impression on your website. So, you know, when you search for something on Google, for instance, it shows you all the search results. Those are all considered impressions. So if you scroll past them and you come up as, with as a result, that can lead to these analytics that you can look into. And so somehow like certain phrases are typed together that will give somebody an impression of our website. And most of the time they don't click on it, like because we have nothing to do with these queries. It's always interesting to just look at it. I'm I'm just fascinated by it in general. So what we do is we will share a query that is funny, one that is interesting, and one that is serious. Which order would you like to go in today, Jason? Well, let's start with serious. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. So I have a spreadsheet here where I keep track of all the interesting things that I come across. Let's see here. Actually, I really liked this one, but I uh, this I feel like this could be long. Maybe we try to, how about this one? This is a good one, Jason. The query was affirmations for insecurity. Wow. That kind of took me off, off guard. Affirmations for you insecurity. You asked for a serious. I gave you uh, serious. Bruh. Hmm. I would kind of go back to a modified version of one of Louise Hay's affirmations for insecurity. One that I've enjoyed, I learned not from her directly, but reading Louise Hay's work over the years which kind of my exposure to her work got accelerated by being a, a Hay House author with my book, Eternity. The mantra that I use when I'm feeling insecure or not trusting or feeling like things are going to shit is, uh, all is well, everything is working for my highest good in the moment. I totally forgot it, Whitney, and this is ridiculous because I say it almost every single morning and I'm blanking but on it Does now. that mean that you're insecure? <laughs> yeah, it does mean I'm insecure. <laughs> but you know what it is? It's like this. Well, what do you do when you forget it? Do you think that you're forgetting it because you feel on the spot right now? Probably, yeah. I think I just go back to all as well. Like the reality is is a choice that 
I think it goes back to Einstein's quote of the most important decision that we can make is whether we live in a friendly universe or a malevolent one. And when things are going to shit and we're in chaos and we're feeling insecure and we feel like the ground is falling beneath our feet, I just invite myself and the listener and you invite everyone to remember that anytime we've been feeling like the ground is just collapsing under our feet and everything's going to hell and nothing's right is that we eventually have ended up in a place where life finds balance and life finds harmony. And that my therapist, Gary says this moment, like every chaos completes itself in peace. And so if we're in a moment of chaos and we're in a moment of panic and we're in a moment of insecurity, it's important to remember that life finds a way to rebalance itself and the chaos and uncertainty and insecurity is not going to last forever. I say that because I need to remind myself of it too. I think that's really helpful. You can also build your own affirmation by simply reflecting on what is it that you want to feel or what don't you want to feel, like getting to the root of it. So if insecurity is like, fear of the unknown, you could say something like, I am brave. I have the courage to walk through uncertainty or sit with uncertainty. And you can create these mantras for yourself, these affirmations for yourself that what you're trying to feel, what you're working on, what you want to remind yourself that you have deep down inside. And I think those can be the most powerful kind because you're not relying on somebody else's words. You're really creating your own. and that makes me feel good. I actually will sometimes record myself saying affirmations and then put some like calming music underneath it. I'll use a garage band on the Mac if you want to get kind of serious with it, but you can also just record it on your mobile device. There's a record feature built into it or and same with your computer and just play it back to yourself. And that way you could kind of meditate and make it more of like a relaxed practice versus an active practice where you're saying it out loud and you're trying to remember it. And I've read other people's affirmations and played them back for myself. And I do that every day, actually. And it, it really is a very soothing process. I like that even better, Whitney. Yeah. Create your own mantra. All right. Let's go to interesting now. So what's an interesting one you have for me? Let's see here. We've got a lot of int- that's like our biggest category right now. Actually, I'll just this one is completely random. Well, you know what? I'm going to tie in one that m- might be semi-related. Somebody asked, "Is Byron Katie a vegetarian?" Do you know the no, answer to that? I have no clue. I did the school for the work back in 2012, which is her her 10-day intensive. I did it here in LA. And unfortunately, did not sit down with Byron Katie for any in-person meals. Although what I recall them providing was a mix of things. It wasn't exclusively vegan or vegetarian. I remember them having animal products there too. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. I mean, it brings up an interesting kind of overarching conversation, which might be better for another episode, which is how nonviolence or ahimsa or plant-based lifestyles are intertwined in different spiritual practices. Because for instance, in the in the Jiva Mukti yoga lineage, which I've been practicing on and off for 13 years in New York and LA, one of their core principles is veganism, is they take ahimsa very literally, which is ultimately do no harm or do the least amount of harm possible. So it's interesting you bring in Byron Katie, who's definitely one of our preeminent spiritual teachers of the modern time. I wonder. I don't know if that's part of her philosophy. Well, 
I mean, I'm sure a Google search could also give you the answer if you would like to look at that behind the scenes and see what you can find, Jason. Okay, while he's doing that, I'm going to pull from the funny category, which we actually don't have that many. Hmm. Okay, I'll go with this one just because I also know that you could answer this, Jason. The query was, can't have shit in Detroit. Is that like a line from a song, a book? Can't have shit in Detroit? Yeah. I've never heard that phrase in my life. <laughs> Although in my mind, it was a chorus for a song in the exact same melody as uh, Ain't No Church in the Wild by Jay-Z and Kanye. Because there ain't no shit in Detroit. It's not Detroit. Anyway, that reminds me of the Cleveland video, which we'll link to in the show notes that Whitney showed me years ago. <laughs> There's a slam video about how shitty Cleveland is. Apologies <laughs> to any Clevelanders or, or Ohioans. But the funny, the saving grace in this Cleveland video, this parody video is like, at least we're not Detroit. We're not Detroit. And it's like, oh, yeah, Cleveland's shitty, but it's not as shitty as Detroit. And, yep. uh, but, oh, uh, man. And anyway, I, we'll link to that random ass video in the show notes. Oh, that's a um, great one. Okay, so I found, one. going back, so I found a quote from a interview with Byron Katie. Okay. That talked about shifts in her life. And she said, yes, uh, radical physical shifts. I went down from over 200 pounds to just where my husband was fearful. I was so thin and it was amazing, an amazing phenomenon. And, it, and my tongue, if I ate any kind of animal products at all, my tongue would bleed. And that's how I knew to eat vegetarian, not even dairy. And that's shift. Uh-huh. Interesting. And that's shifted now and it doesn't happen anymore, but it would just bleed and bleed and I would have to hold a handkerchief on it but then it would just move through. So I don't know if she's vegetarian now in this moment, but it appears she went through a very terrifying and interesting part of her life where if she ate animal products, her tongue would start bleeding. That's no wow. fun. Yeah, that's no. That's definitely put the steak down. My tongue yeah. is gushing blood. So apparently, huh, it's interesting. It talks about her feeling lightness. I don't know. I'll have to dig more into this interview, but apparently at one point she was vegetarian. Oh, that's great. That was the funny one. The funny one was the shit about Detroit. Uh, yes, it was. That was the third and final query. Huh, weird. I, yeah, I've never heard that phrase. I don't know what to say about Detroit other than uh, props to my hometown. You've been through a lot of shit. You've been through a lot of shit, Detroit. You have. And I got mad love for Detroit. I think about moving back sometimes, but then I think about winter and I go, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to subject ourselves to the winters there. No. Well, on that note... Whitney, my good friend, I believe we are coming to the end of episode number 100. How do you feel about this? We're concluding 100 episodes, for God's sake. Well, I feel great. Me too. I'm happy. And without getting too hung up on the milestone conversation, I think more than anything, it just, it feels like a combination of gratitude and pleasure that we get to share our voices and that, you know, there are people listening to what we have to say and resonating with it or doing whatever they're doing with it. It just, it, it feels wonderful that we're doing this together. And thank you, dear listener, whether this is your first episode or your hundredth, and you've been with us throughout the whole journey. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening. And again, if you want free goodies, shoot us an email or DM us and we will, we'll hook you up with something good. We'll hook you up with something good. And again, our email is hello at wellevator.com. You can find us on all of the social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, it's at Wellevator. Again, it's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Always love hearing from you. Always love your comments. 
Thank you for the new iTunes reviews that have been coming through lately. We really appreciate your support on that platform as well. Even the critical one. Even the yeah, you Did know you what? Read it? No, I'm going to dive in today. <laughs> it's not that bad. You're going to see him be like, "What?" <laughs> but yeah. you know, sometimes when you get unexpected criticism, it stings a little. So it does, but also, you know what? You got to brush it off. I remember when my TV series was out years ago, Whitney. Someone was like, "His nose is huge." I'm like, "Thank you." It yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also water is wet and the sky's blue, motherfucker. Like, Wait, didn't duh. you get, wasn't there duh. like a blog post by like a vegan blogger we knew or like we knew of at least that was like really critical and you were yeah, like. Yeah, yep. It was Vegansaurus. <laughs> Does that website even exist anymore? No, but also fuck you, Vegansaurus. Fuck Aww. you. Fuck you. Yeah, seriously, I, I can say that. You know what? I have no shame because like it was one of those reviews of my TV series, Whitney, that was just like there was nothing constructive about it. It was just like a slam piece. You know what I'm saying? Like his delivery is so annoying and he's got this cadence I don't like and the sound of his. I'm like, what is the point of this? So sorry if that was a little harsh, vegan source, but but also fuck you. Well, <laughs> they, they haven't posted anything on their blog since 2019. Yeah, um, there you go. Burn they, were, they were an OG, but. Burn in hell. But maybe, <laughs> but they have posted on their Twitter as of four hours ago. So they're still going strong. And they yeah. have actually a pretty big Twitter following. <laughs> so. I say it in jest, fuck you, but also it, my thing is this, people who exist as critics and their soul or one of their drivers is to like review music and art and TV shows and all they do is look for critical things. I find that that's a very sad existence. Mm. And when I get critical feedback that is not imbued with anything that is like helping me move forward and it's just like, I call it like a slam piece, I don't find much value in that. You know what I'm saying? So I don't mean this to just be about that review in general. It can also mean about the review we just got on our podcast. If it's like, hey, you know what? I really am not liking this because you guys aren't covering X, Y, Z, Z, whatever it is. Like, could you focus more on blah, blah, blah? Or could you speak slower so I can take in the information, right? When you get things like that, there's something constructive you can chew on and work with, right? right. Yep. As opposed to like, I don't like their voices and well, they ramble all the time. And you know what? His nose is huge. It's a podcast. How big do you know my nose is? <laughs> well, Jesus. That's, that's pretty much exactly what the comment was. Maybe it was somebody from Vegansaurus. Well, you know? fuck them too then. You know what? <laughs> we no, don't honestly, know that it's from Vegansaurus. No, fu- you know what? No. Fuck. Bur- they can burn in dinosaur hell. We're no. going to grind them up and turn them into fossil fuel and put them in the tanks of our cars like all the other dinosaurs. I'm going to take this as an opportunity to remind the listener that Jason's views do not reflect my own. And- I know. Yeah. And, he, and I get angry sometimes. I get angrier yeah. than Whitney. I do. But you know what? I, I just found that their Instagram is drool worthy. So I'm going to plug Vegan Saurus despite Jason's feelings because <laughs> I also just discovered, Jason, that Blackbird Pizza. No, who I did think, they close? No. No, I don't think they close. I think this is the same Blackbird Pizza that we had when we were in Philly. Oh, I love Philadelphia. I could be right or wrong. Shout out to Philadelphia. But. Blackbird now has a frozen pizza. So if it wasn't for Vegansaurus, I would not have known that. All right, Vegansaurus, all is forgiven. I mean, they actually post a lot of cool things. Like I wasn't following them, but there's a lot of interesting stuff on their feed about vegan food. So Watch the start of war again. Did you hear what they said about you on their podcast? Watch that. It could happen. But you know what? They said something mean about you and you're trying to... 
strike back. That happens yeah. sometimes. And in all seriousness, I'm not upset about it. It's just one of those things where it's like when people do things again with the energy of just tearing you down without offering something constructive, I do take umbrage with that. Yeah, I agree. I'm not butthurt about it. It's just like, hey, dude, you know that thing you did like you know four years ago, five years ago? Wasn't cool. Wasn't cool. <laughs> it right. wasn't. It wasn't cool. We've all done things in the past that we we regret and we've changed and evolved. And some people haven't. You know, we That's we don't true. know, Jason. And we don't know who left us this critical comment on iTunes. But if you, the listener, would like to go and leave a nice comment to make up for negative comments, by all means. But if you also don't like our voices and you're still listening to us, like, thanks for listening <laughs> anyways, I guess. That's so funny. It reminds me of a comment that was made about Howard Stern years ago, which was his listenership and like the the stations he was on were like, why does anybody listen to this guy? They hate him. Like, and they're like, yeah, they hate him because they don't know what he's going to say next. And they tune in because they want to know what he's going to say next. So whether you're listening because you love us or you, you hate us and you just want to see what crazy <laughs> shit we're going to say next. Thank you for the listenership. Yeah. Either way. Go. Either there way. There you go. So in conclusion, thanks for being here for our 100th episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable. Whitney, congrats. Love you. Appreciate you. Dear listener, we love and appreciate you no matter why you're listening. We appreciate you being here. And we will be back for the next 100, hopefully. We'll see where this goes. We don't know. We're just trying to make it through the day. Love you. Appreciate you. I want to share appreciation for the fact that you've been holding in your urine for longer than you expected to. So You know, know. I feel like all those road trips, Whitney, they were just practice for this. So Yep. Yep. Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Olympic level piss holding. That's what we do here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. I'm going to go pee now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 